the whole core of scarcity is there's not enough. And so until you can address the issue and to have a perception or a belief or faith that there's more than enough of everything for everyone. This is Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus, my boys, the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin here in HD, full color, full volume. This is how coaching is done. We're talking about hot seat coaching. I've been doing this for years, but I can't do it better than with my boys, Kevin and Alan. Welcome to Office Hours. Thank you for having us, Dave. We're ready to hammer it. So first question, what advice would you give to somebody when it comes to relationships, somebody who is trying to do what you're trying to do, somebody who is trying to consistently, persistently pursue their potential? Well, you know, relationships are developed in the same way that a sale is developed. Number one, with credibility. You know, you want to be as close to the truth in a relationship as possible. And then, of course, you need emotional attachment. You know, in all relationships, we need to know what we like and what we don't like about the person. And we have to learn to enjoy both what we like and what we don't like. You know, the old saying about a relationship is those people that know everything about us and like us anyway. Uh, that's uh, pretty much an emotional attachment. Uh, we should know the reasons and impacts uh, as well as what we give and take in a relationship. I look for relationships, number one, that are aligned, synergistic, supplementary to my values. Uh, if a relationship isn't and doesn't have alignment in my values. Like one of the closest relationships I had in business, the other person was one of the least grateful people, the least forgiving people, and the least accountable people I've ever met. Extremely inspirational person. Uh, but those three things were completely devoid of their value system. And as much as the inspiration and the spirit of excellence and how I felt around it, that relationship was born to die. Because sooner or later, if you're not aligned on your values, the relationship's going to become too stressed, too much interference between you and them and not allow you to liberate the, your light and share it with them. Dave, one thing we've seen a lot of is people who are very, quote unquote, successful are usually very business minded and they struggle with emotional intelligence. What did you do to level up your emotional intelligence throughout the years? I think I was blessed to be born with a certain level of uh, emotional intelligence beyond the academic intellectual intelligence that genetically was handed down to me, just looking at the patterns and the success in my family. Uh, my differentiator has been that emotional intelligence that I think I have a quantum uh, potential that's a little bit higher, but moreover, uh, you know, growing up with nothing, uh, having to deal with a bunch of different challenges uh, that most people don't allowed me to interact in a different way with others and to learn about how other people feel and understand how we tap into that emotion, that energy emotion. And I think that's completely aligned with the empathy as well. I'm extreme. I'm an empathetic, right? I feel other people. And that's because of my heightened level of emotional intelligence that I can feel what others feel. This is also the reason I make a horrible doctor because I'd feel the pain all day long. And, you know, nobody wants a crying hurt doctor all day. <laughs> Dave, when you did have that other business partner that you said didn't align with your values, were you not as clear on your core values back then? And like, that's why now you would, you would do a, a values audit ahead of time. Did you do a values audit ahead of time back then? Or was that something you learned after the fact? 
Well, I think, you know, as I grew, it became more clear how important those values were to me. It also became more clear that that person was devoid of those values. You know, sometimes we don't know what we don't know. So we start a relationship uh, at a further distance. And as we get closer and closer, uh, just like we do with ourselves, we unpeel, you know, the personality traits, the characteristics, the obsessions and addictions that people have. The more that we spend time, the more we ask questions, the more interested, the more we interact, the more we learn about the history of the person. Right. You know, there's I am sure there's several relationships that I have today that I'm just not close enough to the person or know enough about them to realize that our values are misaligned. Um, And so and I also look, I allow people to change. So I'm one of those people. I trust everyone. I don't go off of history. You know, you could tell me, uh, Kevin, all this stuff about, you know, who Alan is and, and what he does and what his values are. I have to learn that for myself. Now, if you raise those red flags, I'm going to ask the hard questions now. So if you tell me, you know, Alan's not a grateful person, I'm going to start looking for that to see how grateful he is, ask questions to determine that uh, accountability, whatever it would be. So I do listen to indicate whether I, whether I should uh, search or seek uh, information to determine for myself what somebody's values are. So we were just on, uh, so I was just on a coaching call. So Helen Baker is actually a client of mine, which is super exciting. So she was so pumped that you actually just decided to help and invest in one of her kids, not her kids, but one of the kids on her show. My question for you is, what is it that you look for? I've heard you say this on your podcast. It's not the idea, it's the person that you invest in. Why did you invest and what can we all learn from that? Well, I think it's more than just the person, right? After I know this is the right person, because I don't care if you have an A plus idea, if you're the wrong person, I'm not in, right? I I just, I've seen too many A plus ideas die because it has the wrong person. Uh, And just like the best horses in the world don't win if there's a bad jockey on them. Uh, So uh, once I determine it's the right entrepreneur, and uh, this young man is definitely uh, an extreme entrepreneur, but moreover, after that, he was capable of articulating a quantitative value more than what he's asking for. So there are two components. One, is it the right entrepreneur? But two, did the person articulate the quantitative value to be greater than what they're asking for according to the credibility of that entrepreneur, the emotional attachment I had to the entrepreneur and the idea, the reasons that are quantifiably explained, the impact it's going to have, which is important to me and my value system. And then how did he equate the features and benefits and capabilities to supplement synergistically and align with the quantitative value that he was articulating? Hmm. Dave, we're very blessed because we have a successful podcast and we get to talk to amazing people like you. You're always focused on making sure you're not the best in the in the room, I'm sure, in some way, shape, or form. What advice do you give to people who automatically allow not being the best in the room to leak into their identity? Because that's happened to me a little bit throughout the process, but I think I've gotten better because I've understood it better. What advice do you give to people? Well, I think everyone has different superpowers. So, you know, I don't try to compare myself because comparison is the thief of joy. I think to understand, you know, certain criteria, if you're the smartest one in the room, you're in the wrong room. In other words, the smartest one about the subject matter, right? I don't compare myself as far as intellectual or emotional intelligence. 
But when I talk about not being the smartest one in the room, it's about subject matter. I don't want to be the smartest one in the room of the subject matter that we're discussing because I can't get as much out of it uh, as having someone that knows more about it to ask them for directions and then allow them to ask me about subject matters that I'm maybe a specialist at or an expert at or have more expertise than they do. Or maybe we can combine and blend those expertise to create a whole new perspective of two things by looking at them differently, as we always say, right? Change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So I think to not let it leak in is just simply to remind myself, I'm not in a race with these people. I'm not comparing myself. You know, I'll give you a good example. I work closely with Gary Vaynerchuk and it's really tempting when people, you know, say things about Gary, about, you know, feeling, wow, you know, he's, you know, gets paid more for speaking than I do. He gets chosen to be on things that I don't get chosen to be on. He has 9 million followers and, you know, he's just saying the same thing. I'm, it's not true. He's better. He knows more about it. He's been doing it longer. And instead of trying to compare myself to him and let that leak into me, as you said, Kevin, more importantly, I go the opposite direction and go, what can I learn from him? You know, I want to be, I want to learn from him. I want him to keep on learning so he can keep pulling me closer and closer to the levels of awareness that he has. And I don't want to pay the dummy tax that he's had to pay in order to effectuate the success that he had. But in the end, he's running a completely different race. You're running a different race. Al, Alan's running a different race. And guess what? We all can help each other run a better race. That makes us feel better instead of comparing ourselves and stealing our joy. Dave, is there any is there any upside? I, I noticed that a lot of people live, as you say, in a world of not enough. And a lot of people treat this industry or business like a competition and they're not running their own race. A lot of it's like, well, I don't want you to steal my listeners or blah, 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 whatever any of that is. First of all, what's the misunderstanding, the fundamental misunderstanding to that thinking? And then how do we showcase statistically or mathematically like why everyone wins when each of us win i i find that to be such a such a rare quality to understand like you succeeding is going to help us succeed and vice versa why don't more people think that way and and how can we try to help them understand that and including me as well i want to understand it at a deeper level as well it takes a deeper level of faith to believe there's more than enough of everything for everyone because our primal nature says there's not enough, right? And I, I need to feed myself. And if you're feeding on something, then I won't have enough to feed on, uh, right? And so I need to fight you for it, or you need to fight me and I need to run away, or you know, we need to unite. You know, These are all fear-based emotions. And so the whole core of scarcity is there's not enough. And so until you can address the issue and to have a perception or a belief or faith that there's more than enough of everything for everyone, you will be incapable of not living your life in that trade-off, that shortage, void, and obstacle, the resistance shortage that is created by, you know, understanding that if you have something, I can't have it, right? Look, I, I think one of the funniest things that proves this is, you know, Netflix, right? How many programs are on Netflix? But how many people are begging you to, recently and saying, hey, what are you, are you watching anything good? 
you know, is it because the, the you know, you watch Tiger King, you're not going to watch anything else, and all the viewers of the Tiger King isn't going to watch, you know, this? Uh, no, it's the same thing. The right. People are begging for good stuff, and the more that you provide good stuff, and the more you can provide more people with good stuff, the more good stuff there is. But the truth is, there's more than enough of everything, and it's really just a matter of having faith that there is enough of everything, let alone more than enough. Appreciate that. I'm going to hit you with an Alan two-part question. So number one, what is the biggest difference between Dave's identity today and Dave's identity five years ago? And how often do you feel like your identity is shifting or you're having a new awareness that makes you pivot? Yeah, that's a great question, by the way. Um, so ever since I've instituted the five daily practices that I live by, I have dealt in incremental growth and acceleration. So it's very hard for me to distinguish the exponential change that has occurred over the last five years. The five daily practice, obviously, of knowing my what, my who, my how, my now, and applying my why to the, the what, the who, the how, and now. Um, and so my growth is exponential, but it's incremental. So it's very hard for me living it every day uh, to go ahead and uh, evaluate the quantitative difference. But as I look back five years, you know, although it seems like I'd be the same person, all of the incremental growth and acceleration and compound interest of that exponential growth, I can see huge differences in my awareness, in my humility, uh, in my understanding of practicing uh, what, you know, I teach. And so I think the major difference is what, you know, you're talking about is a higher understanding of pursuing my own potential. I think the greatest difference of David today compared to five years ago is I've truly found and learned to love myself. I'm not worried about what other people think. I'm not worried most of the time, right? But a majority of the time comparatively at minutes and moments outside of this, but not worried about what I don't want, what's missing. I have much more faith uh, that I am angling towards what I want and I'm ending up somewhere better. Uh, where five years ago, I don't think I had the certainty of self that I have today. Dave, uh, the, there's a couple paradigms that, that I've found in my coaching that I look at uh, deeply with people and it shifts everything is the way they view themselves and the way they view the world and whether or not that's an optimistic growth view. And I think that, I guess, what from your perspective, all the people that you've interviewed, the, the science you've studied, everything you've understood of, of just observing and learning this stuff, when you change the way you look at something, this, the thing you look at changes, can you go into a little bit more depth as to why someone's life changes so drastically when they view themselves differently? Because it's very hard from a pragmatic perspective to, to articulate the ways in which that manifests, but I think that you could probably explain it better than I can. I'm just very curious. I think what you're getting at is we give meaning to everything we see and you can't find inside of you. Okay. Sorry. You can't find outside of you what you can't find inside of you, which is where that term change, the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And that's down to a quantum level, right? To a quark. You know, you can actually, if you view something differently, it changes what you're viewing uh, down to the quantum level of energy itself. So understanding that we need to look inside of us first 
to find what we want outside of us is the key component of giving meaning to everything that we see. Once we realize that we can find the light, the love, and the lessons that determinative upon our quantum being, certain things are easier, harder, or intermediarily easy to love or hard to love. But regardless, there's love in everything. So if we make our quest, our journey about finding the light, the love and the lessons, instead of just naturally saying, I don't like that, I don't love that, I hate that. Uh, and I use food as my best analogy of it. It's amazing. You both could walk by a market, never had even eaten a kiwi before. And one of you would say, that looks great. And the other would say, ugh. Now you've never even eaten it before. But there's something at a quantum level that is attracting a frequency that's telling you that at a quantum level, that's kiwi is easy to love or easy to hate. Now, obviously, there's love in a kiwi. And obviously, if you look within you and you change your perception, you should be able to learn to love a kiwi. Uh, and, the, and especially if you've never even tried it. And so many times when we try something, it changes uh, our perceptions as well. So that just doesn't look good. And then we taste it and we're like, oh, this tastes much better than it looks. Uh, so I think the same thing holds true with all nutrients. And nutrients aren't just food. It's ideas. It's people. It's experiences. All the different things that make up a materialized world are nothing but nutrients. And once we come to the realization that we control the ability to learn to love or like or not like something, uh, allows us to find the meaning in it. And we can't do it other than looking inside ourselves. Dave, how much have you held your own potential back by being around not nutritious things, persons, places, things, and ideas? I thought about that the other day and I was thinking to myself, like I have spent so much of my time around toxins, not nutrients, but I understand that all of us do that in our growth journey. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, imposing regret on that, but I had a moment where I was like, wow, like, I used to drink a lot. I, I definitely was not in growth environments. Like I didn't have very high standards for who I spent time with. Like I really have held myself back a lot. Um, on a personal level, have you, do you feel that way as well? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think the biggest paradigm shift that I have is that, and it comes in that same abundant awareness and philosophy that everything already exists, right? There's more than enough of everything. So once I realize, for example, I am healthy, what am I doing to interfere with my health? I am happy. What am I doing to interfere with my happiness? I am worthy. What am I doing to interfere with my worthiness? I am wealthy. What am I doing to interfere with my abundance and wealth? And once you shift the paradigm to realize that these things that you call, you know, uh, negative energy or whatever, it's just interference between you and this great source of abundance, this great source of light, love, and lessons, this great source of power that puts enough power in your pinky to light up all of Manhattan. This is what we're talking about is once you shift the paradigm that you don't have to go out and get it, right? You just have to get rid of the things that are interfering with it. And that could be people, places, things, podcasts, books, uh, you know, exercise, you know, foods, there's all kinds of different things that you're doing to interfere with what you already are. And once you shift that paradigm, I think your free will is utilized not to go get things, but to clear the way for it to come to you and through you for others. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. We were not taught that growing up. I was not taught I, that growing up. I definitely up. wasn't either. 
Yeah, me neither. But it's, you know, the two powerful worlds is funny. First time I was exposed to I am was in the 11th grade. I was in AP English reading Kierkegaard existentialism and the arrogance of a 17 year old uh, was enormous because I remember telling my uh, advanced placement English professor who I loved, Arthur Shore, who's passed away. I'm like, why are we spending all this time talking about two words that are obvious? And he, he just said to me, let me give you another two words. Is it? I'm like, is it? He goes, I am. Is it that obvious? Is it, is it that obvious? Is I am that obvious? And he says, I think someday you'll realize that you could spend a lifetime figuring out those two words. <laughs> Until this day, I now spend minimum probably 30 minutes a day uh, seeking, searching, and learning who I am, uh, because as I established through the law of gravity, who I am, being at the right place at the right time, feeling and learning and loving myself through those lessons I've learned, then I can distinguish what's interfering with what I am. And by taking inventory of my values, knowing my what, my who, my how, and my now, and applying my why to it, I'm capable of better understanding what's inside of me so I can find what I want outside of me. And these two words are extremely powerful. And that's why we haven't learned them at a young age, right? We're too worried teaching people in a scarce world what they need to go get, how they need to put judgments and conditions and attacks in a limit, limited world, not a limitless world, not an infinite world, but a limited world where there's not enough or just enough. But instead, if we could just teach people about the connectivity of all and the abundance of all, we would all be better off. Mm. Alan and I have definitely had a recent shift of I am slash we are. So most of our listeners, Dave, are women. And I'm convinced that I am, we are, is the people that can succeed without ego. What do you think would happen in a world with no ego? Well, I would say if I could have one invention, it would be the egoectomy, uh, but it's not going to happen. So I, I think we are... Uh, despite ego, right? So I'm a minutes and moments person. So I don't think we can live devoid of ego because the ego does protect the embodiment, right? It, it does protect our body. Now, the body, unfortunately, creates a separation between us and everything else. It creates its own identity. Uh, but if we can spend only minutes and moments in ego-based consciousness and the rest of the time in an abundant ego-less environment, we're going to expand and grow and accelerate. We're going to be, you know, happier, healthier, wealthier, and worthier than we've ever imagined. Uh, but I think, you know, searching for potential or attaching our emotions to a potential or a truth that is so difficult to comprehend. If, you know, it's always, I, I always say, like, people say, well, if you could raise your awareness by increasing your vibration, well, why don't you just keep on raising your awareness and win the lottery? I said, if I could vibrate that fast to tell the future or past or, or whatever it would be, uh, I wouldn't want to be here. I think the same thing would hold true that if you lived egoless, not mean it's in moments in ego, but without ego, uh, there would be no need for the body and you wouldn't be here. That'd did be my. You, did you notice a giant shift when you stopped living in ego, like in ego land with the people, places, things that you attracted into your life? Like, do you consciously yeah. realize the difference? Oh, absolutely. Number one, I consciously fired people from my life, the interference in my life, persons, places, and things in my life, experiences in my life. And then, you know, I let others fall away. 
uh, every day that I clear more interference between me and the great source of light, love and lessons, the more I feel empowered, the more I feel the ability to empower others, to empower others, the more energy that I have, the more capability of productivity, accessibility and gratitude uh, that I utilize in my life, the more expansion, growth, acceleration, the more I see the compound effect of clearing that interference as well. So without a doubt, uh, it's been a tremendous transformation. Uh, I often say that time, energy, and money are our three human resources. And where we allocate those resources are going to determine the quality of ourselves and the quality of our lives. I think that where you determine, where you allocate time, energy, and money, though, I think it has to do with where you place your focus, what you what you focus on, what, where you place your awareness. And so one one small example of that might be, well, if I place my awareness on something toxic versus something nutritious, I'm going to most likely allocate. So if I, I read an investment book on finance, I'm more likely to be more intelligent with my money. Can you go into kind of your perspective on what I just said? And yeah. what do you believe determines this where will be those yeah, go ahead. yeah, so this will be the last uh, question because we're going to get uh, started with Blaine. Look, the, you, you have a few things in there that you need to understand. One, money is energy. So they're indistinguishable. They're both infinite and they're, and they're, astra and they're abstract. They're, they're an infinite thing. Energy is infinite. And so is money. There's enough of it, more than enough of it. It's endless. It's a renewable resource. We can whatever you, a currency is an object of energy that you put into the flow to get what you want. Money is a currency. It's an object of energy you put into the flow to get what you want. Just like faith, by the way. The variable that you're not distinguishing correctly, Alan, is time. See, time is not a renewable resource. Time's a man-made construct. It's a parameter that creates limits and separations to the infinite and to the abundance that you want. And so where I would suggest paying your attention and putting your intention to create those coincidences according to the one stable variable of everyone's man-made life, which is you get 24 hours of activity a day, everybody. Now, you can bend those activities, you can create efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success with lenses of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. There's all types of things you can do, but the only stable data that you have in an embodiment is that you get 24 hours activity a day. Not guaranteed tomorrow, not guaranteed, but you will get 24 hours today. And if the sun does come out, you will be given 24 hours tomorrow to create activity, energy, and, and and money, renewable resources, infinite, one in the same. You give meaning to what you see of that energy. You give the value of what you see. Tomorrow, someone could tell you that diamonds are worthless and Bitcoin's worth more than a diamond or, uh, you know, Dogecoin is worth more than Bitcoin or it's. Dave, we lost you. I think you hit mute on accident. That's that's a, a Matt shutting me up saying you got to get off. People are waiting. All oh. right. <laughs> Dave, thanks <laughs> Thank so much. You, Dave, we love you.
Appreciate you. Next Level University, Kevin Palmieri, Alan Lazarus, my boys, the best coaching clients in the world, the dynamic duo. Hopefully you'll get as much out of this as I do. I thank you both for putting the work in to be prepared for these sessions. I get more out of it than you do. Thank you for stretching this uh, growing forehead of mine. I appreciate you. (laughs) Appreciate you, you, Love you. Talk to you soon. I love you too. (laughs) Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode in any way or found any value, screenshot it, share it, however you like. My only ask is you help me empower others to empower others to be happy.